Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Today we have Nir Eyal. He's an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, a husband, and a father. His movement is called Indistractable. That's something we all need more of. He's here today to talk fatherhood, business, and life. Nir, welcome. I saw a quote in your book that I'm going to start with. It says, being indistractable means striving to do what you say you will. Yep. <laughs> that That's means it. even at 7.30 in the morning, I never do interviews this early, but that is how much I like you. So you have a daughter who's homeschooled? Tell me more. I need to talk to you about homeschooling. I have four kids. I'm pretty sure the past month and a half of learning has been a bit of a wash and it's all my fault. Cut yourself some slack. It might be your responsibility, but I wouldn't say it's your fault. You didn't ask for Corona. You didn't ask for homeschooling. So it's a really, really challenging time. We just had a meeting with the kids' school, and I really feel for the teachers. They have to return, and we're being given the option. Are they all returning? or The school that we're sending to did give us the option of joining with Zoom because they're pretty progressive and ahead of their time. Yeah, so how old are your kids? I have a 12, 9, 7, and 1. Wow. You are doing great. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are alive. You're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I am impressed. <laughs> if your kids are breathing, you are mother of the year. Oh my God. Yeah. My one-year-old, he was up till one o'clock in the morning last night. And I was like, don't you know, I have an interview in the morning with someone I really want to talk to. <laughs> you must have drank a lot of coffee or a lot of vodka or something. I don't know what you had this morning, but I'm impressed. <laughs> Did you decide if you're going to send your kids back or not? Yesterday. We were feeling like we didn't want to because the thought of our kids having to wear a mask for eight mm -hmm. hours plus a day, and we asked them, and they really don't want to do it. And that's not it, right? It's also the social distancing at school and recess. You can't touch each other, and you can't sit next <laughs> to each other during lunch. And it's not an easy time, that's for sure. So are you going to homeschool, you think? I'm going to try. I truthfully... I think I might have to hire like a college student to check in with them in the morning and get them all like prepared because yeah. I'm up all night with the baby and getting up, like I said, at 7.30, it honestly does not happen. Do you have neighbors that, that have kids of similar age? I do. We ended up switching schools though. So mm. most of the kids on our street are at the more religious school. I see. I see. You could have a full-time job just like make sure your kids are on track. <laughs> like, I feel so bad because I was working full time up until Corona and I was having career momentum. And then I went from working full time to part time to nights to very few hours. Oh my God. My seven-year-old had a really hard time figuring out which links to use and how to navigate the Chromebook. He got it by the end, but he missed a lot of classes. I ended up hiring a reading tutor for my seven and nine-year-old, which has been fantastic. This is something that I think um, parents need to not feel quite so bad about. I think that the average parent thinks that all device time is bad. <laughs> and I, 
I, I just don't think that that's a very nuanced perspective, especially like, look, we don't have a choice right now. Right? Like, like, this is the time to use screens. Now, I think that there's a big difference between creating and consuming. You look at some of the stuff that kids can do online these days, it is phenomenal. You know, we've been homeschooling my daughter for six years now. Had it not been for this amazing technology, it would be impossible. I don't know how people homeschooled before these technologies. We don't call it homeschool. We call it hack schooling. She's basically learning through the internet. So she's basically hacking the web to get her education. So whether it's amazing educational content on YouTube, whether it's OutSchool, I don't know if you've checked out OutSchool.com, amazing classes that they have on OutSchool that are taught live by incredible teachers. And you know what the best part is? If you don't like a particular teacher, try somebody else. <laughs> so there's some amazing resources and some of them are very cheap or free. How did you get into homeschooling? So my daughter went to kindergarten. We went to a very, very good school district. My daughter would come home from school with an envelope of cut paper. After like a week of this, we asked like, why are you coming home every school day with an envelope full of cut paper? And she said, well, when I'm done with the assignment, the teacher tells me to cut paper. Not cut paper and be helpful. No, like cut paper so that your hands can have something to do. So we went to the teacher and we said like, is there something she can do with her time that's a little bit more enriching than cutting construction paper? And she said, we're the best school district around. So we're fine. Trust us. And we really like that answer. <laughs> Mostly because, to be honest, it was full of a lot of professors' kids. We just felt like we could potentially do better. Now, that being said, we only have one. I can confidently say that most parents can homeschool one kid, assuming that, that you work from home. This is my situation. Two parents, we both work from home and homeschool because she does a lot of self-directed learning. More than one kid or working outside the home, I have no authority. I'm interested to see how they will pivot next year and take it from there. I was talking about this uh, with my wife the other day around how this idea of you know all these stores that are going out of business, how retail is really suffering and the restaurants shutting down. Like If you turned that vacant space into pod-sized classrooms, you get one person who doesn't have to be a unionized teacher, just like a person who takes care of cleanliness, safety, more like a hall monitor, who just makes sure that the facility is up to snuff. And then you have like maybe six or seven kids basically on a computer and you have a physical space. If for most of the day, these kids are in small mini schoolhouses, technology really can do the rest. And I think one of the beautiful things about homeschooling through technology is that you can find the ultimate teacher. Uh, about a year ago, she really got into criminology. I don't know anything about forensic science, but there's a former FBI agent who's retired who teaches kids forensic science on OutSchool. Like, how cool is that? <laughs> and he's really interesting. So she loved it. She just ate it up. Here's a secret of online education. I don't know what public school teachers are doing with this, but I will tell you that professional internet teachers do this. So you know how in a traditional classroom, there's always that one kid in a class of 30 that just needs attention, that like likes to disrupt 
that probably has some issues going on at home. But that means that the other 29 kids have to stop everything so that they can get their name on the board and then the teacher can yell at them and they go to the principal's office and it takes, you know, half the class is just disciplining one kid. Well, the beauty of online education is if you don't want to be there and you're disruptive, the teacher simply pushes one button, you're muted, <laughs> right? Yeah, my kid is probably one of those that would have to be muted. It's so strange having to learn online schooling etiquette, these rules and procedures. It's just like they were never trained to do this. If you use generic technology that was built for corporate, and then like, yeah, it's not built for kids. So kids are going to find ways to hack it and abuse it. Whereas like there's a lot of software out there that's actually built just for this. And they make it a lot more difficult to do that kind of foolishness. They're indoors. What's the circulation going to be like? What's the HVAC system? I mean, if they were outside in a tent, like restaurants are doing. But if you're sending kids to private school, you could actually take that money and have plenty left over to save if you hired a college kid, no? That is definitely something to consider too, because it's a huge chunk of money. Yeah, with three kids are at school, right? You could hire a professional teacher for them. <laughs> Tell me about your childhood. I got bullied. I got picked on. I do not have good memories, specifically from middle school. Middle school was the worst for me. You know, I, I was clinically obese. I had this really stupid name that nobody could pronounce. I didn't have the best time. It wasn't, you know, like when you put a bunch of kids in a cage all day, they act like animals. There's a lot of research in my book about how when you put people in certain situations where they have lots of restrictions placed upon them, then you oftentimes get unusual behavior. So there's only two places in society where you can tell people where to go, what to think, how to dress, what to eat, who to be friends with, and that's school and prison. No surprise that in school and prison, people make cliques. We call them in prison gangs. People get into all kinds of fights. They don't treat each other with respect. They're not themselves. And I was shocked to find how sociable homeschool kids' families can be because you know you're all looking for it. My child's friends who are in traditional school, they're so busy between the homework and the Kumon lessons and the test prep and the Chinese lessons and the swimming, they have no time to play. Whereas with the homeschool kids, hey, you want to make time to play? Sure, we can move the, the lesson around because, hey, you're free. Can you talk to me about what it was like in the beginning, homeschooling? How did you figure out how to do that? It was challenging. It still is challenging to some degree. I don't think it's a cakewalk, but I, I, would, I would argue against what? Our life decisions don't occur in a vacuum. There are lots of issues with traditional schools. Parents shouldn't expect it to be a Shangri-La and be perfect from the day one. But I think they should always remind themselves, like when things are challenging, is this any more challenging than traditional school? It's certainly a lot less money, I'll tell you that. It is getting easier. I mean, if there's one silver lining to COVID, it's that, you know, we went from single digit percentages of kids being homeschooled to now almost 100%, at least temporarily, we're homeschooled. That's created a lot of innovation. There's a lot of new companies being started. There's a lot of new models. A lot of parents sent their kids to traditional school and then took them out for COVID. And now they're realizing, actually, wait, this is not that bad. <laughs> like This has some benefits. Are you part of a homeschooling community? Yeah. In New York City, there's an organization called NYCHEA that's basically an online forum of other parents. 
And that's where we've met all of our homeschool family friends. And it's amazing. Like, especially I can't speak to what it's like in a rural environment, but I will say in a city environment, there's a lot of benefits because my daughter was really into Harry Potter. This lady decided to host a class on the anthropology of Harry Potter, but it's only for homeschoolers. And you know what they did? They went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and taught the origins of all the symbolism in Harry Potter by looking at the art that showed, you know, the artifacts of where this stuff came from. (laughs) Does your daughter and her experiences give you inspiration for your books? The whole inspiration for my second book, Indistractable, came from my daughter. But this was not so much about her and her challenges. It was about me and my challenges, where the the seminal moment that made me reconsider my relationship with distraction was when I was sitting with my daughter one afternoon and we had this beautiful day planned. We had this book of activities that daddies and daughters could play together. One of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question, that if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said. Because in that moment, for whatever reason, I don't even know why, I started checking my phone. By the time I looked up from my device, she was gone. She'd left the room to play with some toy outside. And that's when I realized that, that I'd blown it, right? Like the whole point of homeschooling was to get to spend more time together. And since I work from home, we could spend quality time. And here I was checking this stupid screen as opposed to being fully present with this little girl who I love very, very much. And so that's when I really decided I need to figure this out. And and if I'm honest with you, it didn't just happen once with her and it didn't just happen with my daughter. It would happen when I was sitting down to work and I would do everything but the thing I would say I was going to do. That's when I decided if there was any superpower that I would most want, I would want the power to be indistractable, Uh, the power to do whatever it is that I said I was going to do. I mean, how cool would that be, right? Like, I'm glad to say that, that after five years of research, I figured it out. My life is completely different. I used to be clinically obese. At today at 42, I'm in the best physical shape of my life. Uh, my life has changed so dramatically. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I wrote the book for me. I've been really amazed to see what an impact it's had from parents. Because I think parents have this realization, one, that in many ways, we are hypocrites. Kids are hypocrisy detection devices. They come with these little sensors that are constantly scanning to see when you screw up. They won't believe us if we don't walk the walk. We can't just talk the talk. This will become the skill of the century, that if we think the world is distracting now, it's only going to get more distracting. If there's one skill we have to teach our kids, it is the ability to manage their time, to manage their attention, because that will determine their life. I am that parent right now doing what you just said. The good news is the example is not don't use devices. We don't want to raise kids that are afraid of technology. Their jobs will require them to be conversant with modern technology. And we want to use a technology for God's sakes. Like our jobs depend on it. I mean, can you imagine trying to go through this pandemic without Zoom, without Facebook, without these tools? We'd really go crazy if this pandemic had hit in the 90s, before the internet, can you, (laughs) I can't even imagine how we would have gotten through it. We wouldn't. 
So the idea is not to stop using the technology. The idea is to use it with intent. In the book, I talk about what is distraction. You know, if we talk about what is distraction, the best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. So most people think that the opposite of distraction is focus, but that's not true. If you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you towards your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. The opposite of traction is distraction. Any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, anything that is not consistent with your values, anything that makes you not the person you want to become. If you planned to go on Facebook, if you want to put in your calendar, spend time watching YouTube videos or Instagram, or whatever it is you want to do, great, do it, enjoy. There's nothing wrong with it as long as you do it on your schedule, not the tech companies. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. And this is a central lesson we have to teach our kids. Not video games are bad, stop playing video games, Facebook's bad. Instead, it's about intent. I call it turning our values into time. Deciding for yourself what kind of person you want to become and then asking yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their day? Simple as that. So that's one of four big tactics that I talk about in the book, making time for traction by turning your values into time. And I show you exactly how to do that. So the story I tell in the book is about a professor by the name of Zoe Chance. And Zoe Chance teaches consumer psychology. She started studying this device that basically used a lot of these consumer psychology and behavioral design tactics. And she was so amazed by it because it pushed all her buttons. And so she started first doing 10,000 steps, then 20,000 steps a day. And then one night she found herself going up and down the stairs to her basement to accrue points in this virtual world that the game had created around this pedometer. And she climbed so many steps until two in the morning that by the time she stopped, she realized that she had climbed more steps than it would take to get to the top of the Empire State Building. And so the reason I tell this story is because on the surface, it looks like, oh, the pedometer did it to Zoe. But in fact, what I didn't tell you is why she got so obsessed. The reason why she got so obsessed is actually the reason behind all addictions. And I don't use that word lightly. I know today everything is an addiction, but no, I'm talking about an actual pathology of addiction. And what addiction has in common, this is, this is called the needs displacement hypothesis, that we look for an unhealthy escape. When we don't get something in our life in one area, we look for satisfaction in another area to escape that discomfort. All distraction begins from within. It's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. If you're the kind of person who procrastinates a lot or you get distracted a lot, there's nothing broken about you. It's simply that you don't have the tools to deal with the root cause of distraction, which is always a desire to escape an uncomfortable sensation. So when Zoe realized that, she could do something about it. She got rid of her pedometer. She worked on her marriage. 
Unfortunately, she did end up getting a divorce. Now she teaches at Yale full-time. The underlying story is about how it's never just about the pedometer. It's about why we are overusing and sometimes abusing these devices. I find that really interesting because now I'm wondering, why are my kids so drawn to it? What are they missing? What are they distracting from? It's not a fun question (laughs) because it gets into that icky sticky realm of what am I looking for exactly? What we know is that a lot of times we hear that, oh, you know, kids are overstimulated these days, that we are overstimulated because of all of this flashy technology. And I think it's actually the opposite. We are understimulated when it comes to our relationships. So we look for the superficiality that comes from social media. We are understimulated intellectually. So we look for easy answers on cable news. We are understimulated when it comes to the kind of food we eat. Instead of having real flavor in our food, we need artificial flavors. And so it's really about what we are missing. That is what we go searching for. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be conscious of the technology, quite the opposite. What I'm saying is that we don't need to vilify it. We don't need to think that that is the source of the problem in order to do something about it. Because if we just get rid of the technology for our kids, what we will be doing is creating a bunch of cheaters and liars. You know what they're going to do. You think they're going to stop using technology? I got, I got news for you. <laughs> because when they go to their friend's house, guess what they're going to do? When they go to college, what do you think they're going to do? I mean, I, I, I went to undergrad. Let me tell you, the kids who went the most crazy, the ones who drank the most, the ones who had the craziest sex lives, the ones who were the most irresponsible were the ones who never had the practice of self-control when they were kids. We want our kids to learn how to be indistractable themselves. If we don't teach them how to be indistractable, the world is going to get them, right? My kids are already hiding their devices under their pillows. And I'm like, you know, I know, right? My dad has become addicted to his devices too. And he says it's to tune out. Well, at least he's honest about it. That's a good first step. And I think to some degree, you know what, that's okay. I'll be the first to admit it. After about an hour of playtime with my daughter, I need a break, okay? It's boring. (laughs) I need some adult time to catch my breath and do something else for a little bit, and then I'll get back to you. But it's not fair to my daughter to go on my phone because of my issues, because of my internal triggers. The responsible thing to do is to say, hey, honey, I'm going to be with you for an hour. And then daddy needs to take a little break and daddy will be back in 30 minutes. I think the unhealthy behavior is not the checking of email. The unhealthy behavior is checking email when you said you would be with me. That's when it's a lie. That's when it's not living with personal integrity. Have you ever tried to keep Shabbos? Yeah, I did at one point in my life. Yeah. I didn't grow up religious. But after working in Hollywood the first half of my career and going on a trip to Israel, I decided to stop being available to people all of the time because I was a complete workaholic. There is something there. There's a lot there. You know, so I remember, (laughs) let's talk about cigarettes. So my grandmother was Orthodox. I remember chain smoking Orthodox every Shabbos. 
she wouldn't smoke because you're not allowed to, right? You can't light any fires. And yet somehow when the Sabbath came, she didn't smoke. I mean, nicotine, is, isn't it supposed to be so addictive? Oh my God, nobody can resist it? Yeah, you can, <laughs> right? Like, it's actually amazing how if you have the fear of God in you, you'll put it down, right? If you want to do a digital Sabbath, more power to you. I don't think that's required. How about we do an hour? How about we do, hey, 30 minutes of, I am going to work on this thing. I'm going to do that without doing anything else. Just that. One thing I realized by turning off my phone for 24 hours is that problems fix themselves. Also true. It's amazing. Like you can instantly make your problem somebody else's problem by simply sending them an email and saying, what are your thoughts? <laughs> and then if you don't do the work, you say, well, I was waiting for Janet, right? Janet, I asked her for her thoughts. She didn't get back to me in time. That's why I'm late. And we do this all the time. It has to freaking stop. Tell me about your parents. Oh, my parents are awesome. I won, as Warren Buffett says, the genetic lottery. My parents are some pretty amazing people. They are fighters. They came to America when I was three years old. I came to America on my third birthday. They came to America with their life savings, which wasn't that much. They lost it. They got scammed out of their money by some unscrupulous American businessmen. They built it back over the next several decades and were able to put three boys through college. Do you look to your parents for advice? In a way, it was a blessing that I, there's some things I still ask for their advice for, but I think they raised me out of necessity to be very self-sufficient. Being the child of immigrant parents, they just didn't know the way things work. I can see the childhood I'm giving my daughter versus the childhood that my parents gave me. And there was just so much they didn't know in high school. Oh, there's a pep rally coming up. What the hell is a pep rally? <laughs> what? We don't have that in Israel. Like in the old country, that you know, like how do you explain stupid American silliness that's really important to a kid in school? So in many ways, I had to figure it out. And in some ways, that's like kind of sad that you didn't have that advantage. But on the other hand, it made me very self-reliant. Don't rob your kids of the blessings of making their own mistakes. How did you find AmeriCorps? It was a very difficult year. I worked in, a, in an underprivileged school in Southwest Atlanta. It was a very eye-opening experience. I, mean, I think I came very idealistic. I came thinking that to change the world, you just have to go in there and help one child at a time. Then I went to work in the school system, and I realized that it was a systemic problem. The level of teacher brutality I experienced. Not all the teachers. Some teachers were amazing. Many teachers, because they didn't have an incentive to be good teachers, treated the kids like absolute dirt. Have you always been this curious since you were a kid? Yeah. I think I've always been super curious. I think I've always been contrarian has a negative connotation. <laughs> In Hebrew, we call it chutzpah. And it's a positive trait to have a little chutzpah. So in Israeli Hebrew, there's chutzpah. But then in Yiddish, there's chutzpah. And they're actually two different things. One is like selfishness and like greedy and how dare you. And the other is like, hmm, challenging or like contrarian or daring, you know, questioning, daring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think it's good to have chutzpah and I think it's actually good to question the system. There's a great quote. The cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity. I love that. What's next for you? I'm really trying to promote this idea of becoming indistractable. I would love for this to be a movement. That would really be my dream. Thank you so much. Please let people know how they can connect with you. So my website is called nearandfar.com, but near is spelled like my first name. So it's nirandfar.com. And actually a little bonus for you, uh, if you made it this far in the episode, if you go to nearandfar.com, there's an 80 page workbook that we couldn't fit into the final edition of the book, but it's available complimentary. Uh, If you go to nearandfar.com, you'll see it there on the homepage and it will help you start this journey to becoming indistractable. And that's totally free. I need that workbook. And I saw that mentioned in the book and I was like, should I be doing this alongside reading? (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah, you'll get a lot more out of it. I I hope you do check it out. This is definitely worth getting up at 7.30 in the morning for. Oh, I appreciate it. Hey, that's a huge compliment. Thank you so (laughs) much. It was a pleasure. So daddy, what did you think? That was a very fascinating interview. We, We live in a new world of communication that's accelerated because of this pandemic that we're in. People are taking advantage of using the the tools of the internet to promote themselves and to promote their business and to promote learning as well. What's fascinating is that we wanna stay in action and without getting distracted, meaning that you're trying to manage your time to accomplish something and to try to put off other thoughts where you don't get distracted from the goals that you're really trying to work on. That's not always easy to do because a lot of times, even when I'm at work, I get disturbed with a phone call or I get a different email as I'm checking it, as I'm working on something, and uh, you stop what you're on and you you work on something else. His suggestion is is to complete one thing at a time and get it done and, and not get distracted. Easier said than done, I think, but I think that is a key to doing better. When I went to college, especially taking engineering classes, it's so easy to get the college blahs, as I would say, where sometimes if you're studying and you're working, it's very difficult to concentrate for four or five hours studying one particular subject where you need a break from it. You need to be able to get off of that in order to rejuvenate your brain so that it can handle more of whatever that subject might be. I found out I was a much better student when I actually worked. I was able to concentrate more on the schooling because I didn't have as much time. You mentioned to me the other day that uh, Mr. Wonderful is actually teaching a class on how to manage your money better, to understand common sense things about business that they don't really teach in school. You learn a lot of hands-on experience in life by experiencing it, by making mistakes, by growing from it, and not just getting it out of a book. Do you think that in between my children's Zoom school, they should be zoning out on video games? I know you might disagree with this, but I think it's healthy, and you know your father. Also, always throughout his entire marriage and growing up, would find a hobby of a game to concentrate on. We all have our own unique map, which helps us understand ourselves and others. 
Increased self-awareness is key in maximizing your career and life. The UMAP assessment reveals your strengths, values, skills, and interests. There is also a UMAP Youth Assessment for Kids. To get your personalized UMAP, go to myumap, that's Y-O-U, dot com today. And make sure you use the code BCD, like Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah.